You're listening to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and what a great way to start the program today. Samuel. Yes. The beautiful name of Jesus. What a beautiful name, the name that is above all names. That's exactly That's right. the name of my Jesus. That's right. <laughs> so this is Q&A with Samuel, from, uh, presented to you by um, Ark Church, A Reasonable Christianity. Yes. And you're with Alita Robinson and Samuel Chisichetti. And Samuel, we've been having a very, very interesting series of um, uh, programs mm. uh, talking about the various arguments for God. Yes, and uh, came out of the does God exist question, mm-hmm. uh, which has led to um, a fascinating journey through a whole range of uh, different ways. Um, and we haven't even got to the Bible yet. <laughs> We've just been yeah, going yeah, really yeah. In, uh, in what's around us. Yeah. So we looked at the cosmological argument. Mm-hmm. We looked at the moral argument. And yeah. last week we had the first part of a series of, of, the, of which we're completing today, the design argument. The and design you, argument. Yeah, and you talked about it. It was fascinating, very scientific. Yeah. Um, but you talked about how um, everything is on such a razor's edge mm-hmm. to have everything in place that yes. if, if anything was varied by just a smidge, just mm. a tiny degree, mm. basically mm. the world would either explode or implode. That yeah. we that – we, so to, to say or to think that that could be something that just became – by happen chance, it wasn't yeah. something that was designed. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It is really difficult. It's probably more you need more faith to believe that than to actually believe somebody <laughs> designed it. Um, That's beca- exactly right. Yeah, because it's sort of it actually blows your mind when you think about that that the variance could be just so slight. Yes, and and basically life would not exist. That's exactly right. And uh, and uh, you you've said it beautifully there. Uh, there is one of my uh, you know sort of heroes, people that I that have influenced me, people whose minds. I always sort of wonder how they, their mind function. Uh, his name is uh, Frank Turek. Frank, uh, Frank does uh, a program called Cross-Examined. And Frank, him and, um, and uh, another gentleman, I see sometimes I have this blank web, the name just simply is, but the name will, it will come back. Um, Frank has written a book, he's co-authored a book uh, called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Uh-huh. It, it, it's, it makes the case throughout the book mm. that it, it is a lot more reasonable. It takes a lot more sense to believe that the world was designed based on all the line of arguments we have than it takes to say it just happened by chance. Mm. And so, you know, yeah, the book is written, co-authored with Norman Geisler. There you go. And so Norman Geisler and... <laughs> Very bright mind, Norman Gasler is, is left us, is no longer with us, is gone into glory. And Norman Gasler and Frank Turek uh, have written a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Mm. And so he does his, uh, you know, cross-examined. If you go online and go crossexamined.org, uh, you will find Frank Turek. He's just one of those bright gentlemen. I met him when I was in, in California when I went to the conference um in 2019, before all the beginning of COVID and stuff, and uh, just amazingly humble guy, whose mind is extraordinary. And so it's to say that um, that it takes a lot of faith to look at the world around us, and yet to believe it was not designed and happened by chance. Yeah. Than it is to go well. Look, this is so designed. Like what you're saying, what we did last last week. Day when you look, you look at the world has got some fundamental forces of nature. 
I'll just give one example, the gravitational force. Mm. If we didn't have gravity, matters would not be pulled together. Now, if you want to know gravity, because a gravitational force, you might think something that is unrelated to you. you know, it's so related to you that every morning when you wake up, you don't wonder whether you, when you put your feet on the floor, they're going to stay there or you're going to start floating. All right. Mm. Oh, here I go. Woo. So gravity is that when you cutting your tomatoes and trying to chuck it in a pot, you know, to cook your, uh, you know, fish or whatever dish. You know, why don't just those pieces of tomato float in the air instead of landing in a pot? So the gravitational force is a force that keeps all matters together. Mm. And it depends on the mass of the body that is whose gravity attracts the rest. For example, we are on Earth, and so the gravi- gravitational force of the Earth is so strong that any other object of a, a, a smaller mass than it will be pulled toward it. For example, the gravitational force of the moon has kept uh, the, the Earth tilted on its axis so that it's actually not standing, you know, ver- standing vertically on its axis. It's a little bit like uh, I think it's on a, uh, a slight angle, and so that in its you know revolution, it gives us all the seasons. Yeah. Right, you get winter, summer, you know, autumn, autumn and spring, yep. and spring. Mm. You get those seasons because of the gravitational force of the moon, and that's what makes the tide go in and out, you know. And so it's just extraordinary. The sun itself has got such huge gravitational force that it keeps all the rest of the planets within its orbit revolving around the sun without just detaching itself and going for woo, you know, the earth, oh, well, there is, there's gone Venus, so there's gone <laughs> Neptune. So, so you know what I'm t- <laughs> it, it's I'm pre- just imagining it, that's all, I'm just imagining all this. Yes, yes. Away. <laughs> These things have got literal real implications in our lives. Yep. So if the gravitational force was shifted just a little bit, if mm. it was just a little bit smaller, the matters would not be pulled back together, and so the implosion would just, we wouldn't have solar systems. We, don't, we won't have any, you know, any sort of planetary systems still around. Mm. And if it was just a little bit stronger, just but on the razor's edge, but when we say a little stronger, uh, let, me, let me give you an example. Like when you have your, look at your traditional radios. You know, when we had, before we got to the digital radios, and you have a traditional radio. It's got a sort of a little tuner. And there's this something that looks like your ruler on that little screen for yep. people who are, you know, of my age and older. <laughs> yes, I can, I can see that. I got one at home still. Yes, mm-hmm. those born 2000 and forward uh, have got no ideas. Uh, or they just all the numbers and all the little yeah. lines. Yes. And when you're listening to your FM or AM radios, mm. for you to lose the frequency, all it takes to just move the dial just a Tiny little bit. teeny. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the sound is like, you don't, you don't, you're not hearing anything anymore. It's just simple or muffled. Now, with the tuning of the radio, it's just the sound you lose. But could you think if it was a bomb and that if you tuned... No, I've said bomb on the radio. I don't know whether, <laughs> but if it was something like that, a, an explosive, mm-hmm. that if the dial just moved just one part... In 10 to the 80th, mm. that's the number of seconds that have passed since, if you at least assume the Big Bang, since the Big Bang. So if you move it just one part to the 10, 10 to the power of 80, right? 
That is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. You have no idea how tiny that is. Mm. And if you move that dial just a little bit, poof, mm. there is it. There's no universe, there's no life, there's nothing. It had to sort of be fine-tuned so precisely, balanced on a razor edge, a razor's edge, as you said, so that life would even be possible. Yeah. So, you know, as I was giving an example last, last Sunday, it was like, you know, being given, you know, let's say you know, coins filled throughout the entire state of Queensland and 10 meter high. And you get blindfolded. And they put one coin that is colored in orange. And they mix, jumble all, mix all these coins up. And they say, okay, well, they put it right in the middle. And you stick your hand. And the first time over, you grab that one coin that was called, called, colored, in, colored in orange. Yeah. And think about if you had to do like that at least 10 times, still getting the, you just sit there, like, okay, carry me, carry me out from here. Here it is. With a blindfold on, mm. if you did it twice, if you did it first time, it's impressive. If you did it twice, it is, we stand to go, well, hang on a minute. Either the blindfold is not blindfolded, and when he, if we did three times, this is rigged. Somebody's telling you where it is. Uh, if it is uh, one million times, mm. now it is going to be beyond reasonableness that you could have gotten it by chance. Yeah. And that's how... If you look at the chance hypothesis, that's how many times it has to take to get it right for us to have any one chance for that those numbers to be balanced the way they are. So think about, for example, the strong force and the weak force. That's at the macro level. At the micro level, the strong force binds the neutrons and the atoms and the electrons together. So if that force was just balanced, just moved the dial, just a little, the same I've just described for mm. the gravitational. Yeah. We, the atoms would not be able to stick together, mm. which means we'll have no chemistry. Yeah? Yeah. I'll be talking about certain things that are quite extraordinary, like we, what does it get for you to have the kind of carbon we live with? If you have, you know, uh, you know, CO2, okay, which is the sort of two molecules of carbon, um, if it was only carbon monoxide instead of carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide will kill you. Yeah. Just try and slip in a room with carbon monoxide, you die. Mm. All right? And so to have the two molecules of carbon stuck together, you need the strong, you know, uh, you know strong, strong nuclear force. And that strong nuclear force keeps these molecules stuck together. Mm. To give you the element of carbon, we live on Earth which is we are a carbon-based life. Yes. Like so mm. just just as, as part of what we, because in case when we were doing last last week, it was all a lot of numbers. and Because when I finish these programs, I'm like, okay, well, if I had to really summarize it so the person who's listening can grasp what I'm trying to say, you know, that's what I was trying to say. I'm saying that for us to have, this universe as it is, and planets, and you know, the sun and the moon, and all the movie, you need the gravitational force, and it has to be balanced just right. Yeah, that if the balance the dial just moved just a little tiny bit, there'll be no planets, there'll be no matter, there'll be pardon me, there's nothing. Yeah, and on the microscopic level, on the micro level, you know, you need a strong, you know, nuclear force uh, to be able to get these atoms of carbons and, and oxygen, and which I'm going to talk about today, that need to be stuck together. And just the, the idea that it could happen by chance alone, mm. 
Nah, 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 <laughs> nah, nah, nah. nah. All right. Well, we've uh, got a great program again for you this mo- this afternoon, uh, but we're just going to have a listen to Tennille and Nita singing Mercy. Yes, and we're continuing on with the uh, the design argument. Yes. and uh, just before that lovely song, you were saying that, um, or you were sort of summarising uh, what we'd been talking about last week. Yes. That at the end of the day, everything is in such amazing alignment. Mm. Um, 
that if we moved or shifted anything within our reality um, by even the tiniest degree, we would not have what we have and we would not be who we are and there would not be a planet to live on, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So you are going to you're, – you're coming um, into a – Bit of a bit more of a discussion where you're you're going to be looking at how all those elements intrinsically how unique all the elements are that form part of who we are as a as a human body and, yes. and also the planet that we live in and the yes. universe that we live in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, today I wanted to just to give you the idea of how awesome. Uh, the study of natural theology, in other words, the reflection of a theologian over nature, will exalt God and actually bring you to the conclusion that the evidence for the existence of God, just from nature uh, itself, uh, as you reflect on it, is overwhelming. I'm, I'm not saying just simply beyond reasonable doubt. I'm saying overwhelming, overwhelming. Let, let's see. I want to look at something today that, you know, those kind of little facts that might, you know, blow your mind, but also might sort of help, help you appreciate uh, where uh, where we, we are. Now, I was looking at the concept of what is called the habitable zone. So I've looked at from the micro, macro, you know, the Big Bang and the, the level of entropy there was from the, you know, the first moment uh, the universe came into being, uh, from the, you know, all the fundamental forces of nature, uh, you know, how balanced they had to be uh, for, for for there to be, you know, life at all, uh, to the point where I think I remember quoting Fred Hoyle, who coined the term Big Bang, to say when the discovery of the fine tuning of the universe came through, he said his atheism was greatly shaken mm. uh, because he said, no, a super intellect must have monkeyed with the numbers. <laughs> 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 and so... I want to look at something that scientists and, uh, and cosmologists and, and, and biochemists and so on and so forth, uh, you know, they, they have come to the conclusion that there is something that is called the habitable zone. Okay? The habitable zone. Which the habitable is zone. Habitable zone. <laughs> habitable, habitable zone. zone, that's it. Yes. Yeah. So in astronomy and astrobiology, the habitable zone is called the circumstellar habitable zone, CHZ, uh, is the range of orbits around a star mm. within which a planetary surface can support liquid water given sufficient atmospheric pressure. The, the bound of the, the habitable zone are based on the Earth position in the solar system and the amount of radiant energy it receives from the sun. Due to the importance of liquid water to Earth biosphere, the nature of the habitable zone and the object within it may be instrumental in determining the scope and the distribution of planets capable of supporting life like ours. Right. Right? It's called the habitable zone. Yeah. So... Uh, I was actually went on uh, NASA's website to look at, you know, they've got little nice animations of what it is like to to to, to live in an habitable zone, and so they give quite interesting. It's not only just simply the fact that you know you've got to be within that zone to be able to have water, but it's because think our habitable zone is between the orbit of Mars and Venus, okay. And that's where our really habitable zone is, and that's and the Earth is right sitting in the middle of that habitable zone, habitable zone. Yeah. Okay. Now, <laughs> but it's not just the location. Well, for example, the Moon 
is right within our, with the habitable zone, and yet it's still not habitable. Yes. You know, the moon is all frozen up, you know. It's, it's, so, it's so dusty and so on and so forth. You can't, you know, go live. So it's just not only being in the zone. It's also, you know, there are extra number of factors that need to be considered. Give you, for example, there is a, a, a star called Proxima Centauri. And the Proxima Centauri is caught, uh, you know, a planet like Earth within its orbit. But that planet is not habitable because it's, too close to Proxima. No, no, it's no, no, too close. Proxima Centauri itself is too small. Okay. So that it doesn't generate the necessary amount of heat and radiations to be able to, you know, to sustain life on this particular planet. And, for example, there's another planet called Kepler-90. Kepler-90, uh, you know, is exactly the same size as the sun. However, all the planets within its orbit, are closer to it. So way outside that habitable zone, therefore there could be no life there. So the size, the proximity, there is a number of uh, you know things there for you to be able to be within that habitable zone. And what makes the habitable zone habitable zone, it's one element, I'm going to add probably two, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one element which you live with every day and maybe you don't think too much about it. It's called water, mm. H2O, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Two molecules of hydrogen and one molecule of oxygen, right? And so water it occupies th- three, uh, no, uh, three quarters. Is it? No, um, yeah, 75% is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> three quarters. <laughs> three quarters. I was, for some reason, that's the number. That yep. Three quarters of our planet, mm. basically. We're supposed to be 75% water as well. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, the water on this planet is three quarter of the planet. We basically, we're occupying this little tiny zone, one quarter. That's where we sit, where we live. Hmm. And, and without all that water around this particular planet, there'd be no life here. And that's just it. And so let's look at some of the things uh, that uh, that water... Uh, the qualities of water that are so finely tuned. The first thing that I want to look at is that water is a universal solvent. By that, it means water can dissolve nearly anything. And it carries so many minerals. And yet, what is less chemically reactive than all the other solvents. Mm. Take sulfuric acid, for example. It is a, is a solvent. It dissolves the minerals but it destroys them. So because water is a solvent, it gives water the capacity to dissolve the minerals and then transport them wherever without destroying them. Mm. Your body needs tons and tons of minerals to be able to sustain life. And so so does the planet. I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. So your body is made of water, which dissolves all the necessary minerals, doesn't tamper with them, doesn't dissolve them, keeps them exactly in their original condition while dissolving them and transport those minerals wherever those minerals are needed so that those minerals would then do the function for which they are there. And so the capacity for water to be this as a, as, as a solvent is unparalleled. There is no other solvent that has the, not only the capacity to be a solvent, 
but also to preserve the minerals they transport. Without this balance, if you shift the water just a little bit, the, 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 the capacity for water to be a solvent would pre pretty much be gone and there'd be no minerals to be transported because all would be dissolved but also destroyed. So it makes life impossible. Mm. That's, that's balanced on a razor's edge in your own body right there in the same way it is in the universe. Let's look at, for example, another property of water. Low viscosity. Now, viscosity is thickness. For example, tar is a lot more dense mm. in its viscosity than olive oil. And olive oil is a lot more dense in its viscosity than water. Mm. And so water has got the lowest or one of the lowest of viscosity than any other common liquid. Take, take an example, for example. Liquid hydrogen is, it's got a, a lower viscosity than water. If you take liquid hydrogen, for example. And if our body was made of liquid hydrogen instead of water, the delicate, minute, microscopic part within ourselves that sort of need to be transported for the cell to continue to live and the delivery of all the necessary nutrients to all the little parts and muscles would not happen. Mm. So if you decrease the viscosity of water just by a little tiny, just move the dial just a little bit, mm. you have no life. Life is impossible. Okay? And so... Uh, if 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 you 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 increase the viscosity of water just a little bit, I was talking about lowering it, but if you increase it just a little bit, see water is you know it, it, it's it's got the purpose of moving up the blood through some of the tiny capillaries, and so delivering oxygen to the even to the extremities of your your body, like the very, very extremities still need oxygen and blood is going to go through all that. And it just just recently I had, um, I had strained my ankle, which you know, mm -hmm. and I went to the, uh, to the doctors and, and, um, and, and so during the process of recovery, uh, you know, the doctor said to me, you know, the thing with these ligaments, the reason why they take longer to heal is because they need oxygen all the way there. And the blood supply there is very, very slow to getting to those ends. And so it's the time it takes to recover. It would be different if it was your bones. Mm -hmm. and so what I'm trying to say is without, if water was not the property of what f makes all the movement in your body, uh, if you increased just its density in viscosity just a little bit, some of your ligaments would not be getting oxygen, I can guarantee you. No. You get you get injured, no recovery. No recovery. Yeah. Oh well, it's um we all know how important water is and um and and water to be uh, clean and healthy as well. So looking after water is a good thing. All right, well we're going to listen to um an, a very oldie, nineteen sixty nine. This is a fave, Larry Norman with "I Wish We'd All Been Ready."
life was filled with guns and war And everyone got trampled on the floor I wish we'd all been ready Children died, the days grew cold A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold I wish we'd all been ready There's no time to change your mind The sun has come and you've been left behind A man and wife asleep in bed She hears a noise and turns her head He's gone I wish we'd all been ready Two men walking up a hill One disappears and one's left standing still I wish we'd all been ready There's no time to change your mind The sun has come and you've been left Well, that's a, definitely an oldie. <laughs> Haven't heard Larry for a long time. <laughs> anyway, on to... Yes. We're talking about... Uh, we're talking about the We're, properties we're talking of water. about water. Yeah, yeah how yeah, amazing yeah. water is mm-hmm. and, and how 75% of, of, of the world is, yes. is made up of water. Yep. We're 75% water. Actually, they suggest that if you prepare a meal, you know, it should be... The vegetables and everything should be 75% water as well. It's good, right. good for the balance of your diet. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, very mm-hmm. interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. Yeah. Now, so we looked at two properties. We took a look at the fact that water is a universal solvent. Yep. And the second one, we look at the water viscosity, the, you know, the, 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 the density uh, of water, the thickness, if you will, the thickness. And, and I was, uh, one day my son, Matthew, asked me, um, why is it that if, you know, you put water in your eyes, you know, it, it hurts. And, and I sat there for, for a little bit. You know, if you sort of get splashed with water in your eyes. Uh, you know, have you, been, have you been in a water fight? Yeah. He asked me this question because we were... The water doesn't hurt. I mean, maybe the 
impact of the water hurt? No, Does no. Does the water hurt? Even it goes in the, you know, it basically decreases the the viscosity of the, you know, the moisture in your eye so that uh, it sort of scratches uh, okay. a little yes, bit. Yes, I understand. Yeah. Yes, so, and so I had to explain to him what a viscosity is, you know, yeah. and I had to pick up, you know, his, his the oil and his water. See, so is, is, this is a thicker than that. Just, just to sort of give yeah. you those. That's what I mean by viscosity. Number three, the thermal properties of water, thermal properties of water. You know, uh, it's the water capacity to deal with the impact of heat. Many of the biochemical processes, uh, you know, can only operate within a very narrow range of temperatures. And if the temperature is too high, nah. If it's too low, things freezes, so there is no, you know, biochemical processes happening. This is why on planet like Mars where it's frozen, there is no biochemical chemistry going on over there. Mm. And so, uh, and, and, and when you look at the range within which water sits, Water is has got this amazing capacity to maintain stability of temperature. Now, water, for example, has got a capacity to absorb very large quantities of heat while increasing just a little bit in its temperature. Well, okay, I'll give you an example so you can see what I mean. You interact with this stuff every day. Think about you're in Bendigo and it's a 40 degree heat, like on our summer hot day. Mm-hmm. Try and get out and walk on the bitumen. How does it feel under your feet? Well, if you've got no shoes on. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying it's a yeah. bare feet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because the bitumen absorbed the heat and radiated it. Yeah. Right? Mm. On the same 40-degree day, just go and sit by the pool and stick your feet in the water. How do you feel? Beautiful. <laughs> exactly. The same temperature in your environment Sand absorbs it and radiates it. You can't stand on it. Mm. But if it, when water absorbs it, you know, the water will be pleasantly 24. When the temperature out here is 40 degrees. Mm. If you go to the ocean, because it's a larger body of water, water is pleasantly around 19 to 20, 21 degrees. Whereas out here is 40 degrees. That's why, you know, everything, including, you know, animals, when it's too hot, Guess what? Everybody finds where there's water to dunk yourself in. Mm. And so what has got this amazing capacity to absorb huge amount of heat and just the increase the water increase in temperature is just this really small. Now, that's to show you how water is capable of absorbing heat. Here's another, uh, another thermal property of water to, to think about. Well, just before I go there, um, this capacity that water has got is paramount to maintaining the temperature, maintaining the temperature not only of our body, but the temperature of our planet. Yeah. This is why when they're talking about Goldilocks habitable zone, the most important element is water. Yeah. Because without it, this place will be so hot, no one will be surviving here. Mm. So what, this is why actually it's good that you know, three quarter of the planet is made of water. Mm. Absorb temperature from all angles, from everywhere. Just go in the desert where there's no water, and see how hot it is in there. Right? Okay. Now, here's another one. Water has got what is called the evaporative cooling property. The evaporative cooling property is another way water maintains temperature, even the temperature of our body when it's too hot. The human metabolism, for example, produces a lot of heat. 
when your metabolic system is working, it radiates heat. So to cool the body down, because otherwise if the body goes past a particular temperature, of course your body will shut down and will die. Mm, that's right. Yeah. So to keep your body temperature just right within the range of 36 and 38, just somewhere in, the, in between, you need a lot of water. That's why you've got tons of water in that body, mm. right? And so when your body starts to produce too much heat, guess what, what the body does? Through evaporative cooling, the body starts to perspire. Mm. So perspiration is a key way to cool down the body when the body is starting to heat. So water absorbs a huge amount of heat, and then when it evaporates, it starts to cool the body down. Even when the outside temp uh, temperature exceeds the body temperature, what the, bo the body does is basically to do evaporative cooling to cool the body down. Now, I grew up in the tropics. Mm. We sweat a lot over there. We actually love it. It's great. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if you're from Australia, you know, oh, sweaty, oh, bad. But, you know, over there it's like suit and tie. You know, you're sweating your head off. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it's the way the body cools out. Yes. Mm. The body cools our temperature, our temperature down. So humans are relatively hairless creatures mm. compared to all the other, the rest of the, the other mam mammals, right? Mm. And so, and humans, as, as humans, we exert a lot. We can, you can exert, it could be 40 degree temperature, you can see somebody running. Think about it, 40 degrees already above your body temperature. Yeah. And when you start to run, the metabolic system within you is increasing the temperature. And guess what the what the water in your body is doing? It's evaporating. Cold yeah. is <laughs> cold is heat down. Yeah. And so that evaporative cooling is what keeps you alive. Mm. Without it, you're gone. Mm. Let's just simply just if somebody when you when you're sick and you your uh, your um, defenses gets up and your immune system starts to fight you know, the body temperature starts to go up, right? And and there's a range within which if it gets way up there, that's it. Like when I was when I was a child, I suffered um, um, chicken pox. And my mom tells me that my body temperature was starting to get to 40, it's going to head at 41, 40, I was going to go vegetable. And the way to cool my body down, which is, Melissa, we do this, uh, you know, you take the kid, the kid is shivering, because the temperature of their body is starting to exceed the external temperature here, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say it's 24 degrees and your body's starting to get to 40 degrees. Of course, that's why you're shivering. You're like, <gasps> your body's hotter than the, uh, the atmospheric temperature. So what we do is you take the kid, just dunk the kid into cold water mm -hmm. and see the wonders of water. Yeah. Brings the body temperature real down. Water does, temperature doesn't change much. But, you know, cool the body temperature by 10 degrees mm. when the water just increased by one or two degrees. So my mom dunked me in the cold water to try to save my life. I, I, I thank God for water, right? Mm. So if the temperature of the water, at, if the water didn't have that particular thermal evaporative quality, we would absolutely not be here. Mm. Here's another one. That's just to mull over. The freezing property of water. What is incredible? You know, all the liquids, all, all the liquids, when they start to freeze, they contract and they become denser, become heavier. Mm. Interesting enough, when water freezes, it, it expands. Have you ever sort of put a, a bottle of water in the freezer 
and let water start to freeze and see what, what happens to the bottle. Yeah. It cracks. Because yep. the water basically expands. Mm. And when it expands, so its molecules distance themselves. Right? And then in distancing themselves that way, it becomes lighter. And this is quite extraordinary because once it becomes lighter, it then floats. So if you put ice on liquid water, guess what happens? Floats. Ice floats, yeah. right? Mm, yeah. Okay. Now, think about it this way. If water acted like any other liquid, it will start to freeze from the bottom. So if, let's say, um, temperatures drop in the ocean, the freezing won't start at the top. The freezing starts at the bottom. And it freeze from the bottom, from the bottom, and every other living being, living creatures at the bottom, frozen is gone, right? Dies. And it will freeze all the way to the top, and we won't have water at all. So we have like a planet that is as frozen as Mars, for example. Okay? And so the, the property, the fact that water freezes, and then the frozen water floats, what it does, it, it, be, it works as an insulator for the liquid water under it. So that even if the temperature was so cold out here that the water, if you go to, let's say, to Antarctica and so on and so forth, the fish underneath that, that ice are still swimming and living. Mm. And so because of that, it preserves life. Water is incredible. So if you just had to shift the property of water, its thermal qualities, just by a little tiny bit, what you would have is you would have a substance that freezes from the bottom instead of freezing from the top. And you'll have a, 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 a substance that is incapable of, you know, regulating temperature in our body and in our system. And therefore, life would be absolutely impossible. And so you can see that whether I was talking about the planets or the minute molecules of chemistry or just simply what makes us, you know, a planet in this, what is called the Goldilocks zone, the mm. habitable zone, yeah. this property of water must be finely tuned for life to exist. Mm. Without it, there'd be no complex life here. And for someone to say, oh, look, by chance. Yeah. Well, okay. Or you can say, well, look, um, it, was, it just had to be. Well, no, if it had to be, you'll have to find a mathematical uh, a theoretical equation by which you can demonstrate that it just had to be, that it was necessary. There is no such model that demonstrates that this fine-tuning is necessary. Mm. Uh, if anything, once you, you put all these into mathematical equation, you see that you could vary some of the input within the formula to have a totally different outcome. So it was not necessary, right? And if you talk about chance, there is no way if it was by chance, the number of chances we could have had for this to happen are so astronomically beyond reach that the fact that this happened on this one is beyond comprehension. Therefore, the design hypothesis is the strongest and the most reasonable and the most overwhelmingly reasonable. Mm. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll wrap this up in uh, the last part of the program. But in the meantime, we're going to listen to one of our locals, Father Rob Galea, with Gift Given. You 
to 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and we're on the run to the finish, Samuel. Yes. We've been talking about water yes. and the various elements of water and, mm. and uh, how absolutely fantastic water is with its properties yes. and how it sustains life. It is. It is actually the, the principal element 
for a planet within a habitable zone. That's the first quality of a, you know, pl- a planet uh, that uh, lives in a habitable zone is to have water, liquid water. Now, uh, as, as you remember, at the first I said the first thing in water was a solvent, and universal solvent carries mm. minerals, you know, within your body. Yep. And here is how water basically maintains uh, the cycle, the biodiversity, and the biosphere of our planet. Now, we all would know about plate tectonics. Plate tectonics are those, you know, the, 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 plates, the plates that are just on the surface here, on the mantle of the earth, and that when they shift and move, you get earthquakes. Mm. Those and things that we don't particularly like because they somehow destroy our house and sometimes, unfortunately, people die because of earthquakes. But, see, plate tectonics have got cycles, the shifting of the plate tectonics through the volcanic uh, eruptions and activities pushes minerals from the core of the earth all the way out here. Okay, and so it is those minerals I, I was explaining when we we're talking about the uh, the you know, uh, you know natural suffering. You remember I was talking about the yes. problem of suffering, yep. which we will look at when we're looking at the argument from uh, the ontological argument uh, sometime next week. Uh, so. You look at the if the display tectonics were not moving, mm. basically the biodiversity we have here on the surface would not be there because all the trees and places they need minerals. So the minerals come from under there and comes up through the volcanic eruptions and so on and so forth and earthquakes and stuff. And then what happens then is water through its cycle, the water cycle dissolves those minerals. And then carry you through, through feeds, trees, and everything else. And it goes on and deposits the remaining and the rest of those minerals on the ocean floor. And then, the next time there is another shaking of plate tectonics, those minerals come back up and then be fed through the water cycle. So you've got the tectonic cycles and the water cycle, which continue to maintain the biodiversity of our planet. Mm. Without it, there will be no life here. It's a completely different way of looking at uh, climate change, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just yeah. getting all these yeah, yeah, all yeah, these yeah, pictures yeah. and, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you will notice as we sort of added toward the, the, the concluding of our program, uh, Alida, and, and all our listeners, that, you know, I... I I was saying to you, I was saying earlier, maybe the guys on the radio heard me say this, but, you know, I was saying that when I started uh, studying theology, my formal training didn't include natural theology at all, mm. okay? Because it's not really a branch, you know, you just go to most, most Bible schools and Bible studies and theological schools. You know, nobody focuses on, on natural theology as much. And, and because, yes, okay, we've got the special revelation, God's word. Yeah, you know, you study all the theology proper, you study systematic, you know, one, two, three, you do all that stuff. But natural theology is not really as approached. Hmm. Whereas natural theology is the reflection of the theologian upon God's created order. Yeah. And so when I came across natural theology, it increased my my. You know, my understanding of the awesomeness of God and my capacity to worship Him. I am fully convinced that the shallowness with which the Christian worships God, based on, oh, He gave me food yesterday, or I was praying for a car and I got a car, or, you know, or, you know, those kind of, don't get me wrong, they're all good. Mm. 
But I don't think that those things really lead you in the deepest understanding and the deepest worship of God. Because, you know, it's a so, sort of ephemeral, short-lived experiences. You know, where you got a car, well, 10 years later, that car is gone. You have another need. So people go through this cycle of God is good or not so good. God is good, not so good. But if you start to study God's handiwork, you start to appreciate how awesome our God is. When the psalmist writes in Psalm 19 verse 1 to say that, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God and, and the skies declares his handiwork, it is to say that the study of the natural order will lead a child of God into the deepest place of worship. It's unfortunate that many believers would rather stay away from, oh, it's too scientific, it's too hard. Too. Well, when they faced with an atheist who, of course, not understanding, you remember I was quoting um, Sir Peter, uh, I think, um, Peter Medawar, uh, who said that, you know, it is bad for a scientist to assume that the study of science will basically make somebody come to disbelieve God. No, if anything, science, you know, helps us study the world. And then we go to the question of uh, how did this come to be? What's the best explanation? Who designed this? And, and once you start to discover the designer, it leads you in a profound place of worship. So why often when we have worship at church, you sort of want to wonder what goes in the mind of the worshipers when they start to worship God. Mm. This is why probably why the reason why people have got many people have got few words to worship God. I, I believe they can't stand there and go, when I look at the planetary motions and I look at the, the, the properties of wood, when I look at the properties of oxygen, when I look at how my body functions, the cells in my body, when I look at when I look at all those things, I worship you. Now if you understood all these things, your worship of God would be far deeper. Mm. And so that's what I'm saying. By having gone into this question about natural theology, when we start out with a question of, you know, sexuality in our culture, you know, some start with God, some start with culture, and we will start with God, have more than overwhelming, uh, you know, evidence and reasons to believe that God exists. Therefore, when he decrees things, what he decrees out of his good nature is what we ought to do. The shallow man is the one who thinks, let me craft and build my little world mm. in my own little way. Well, uh, your little world would not be here if there was no God to frame the big world within which your little world is living. And you miss out on so much. If you're focusing on your own little world, you miss yeah. out on the big world that God has in plan for you. No, not only that, you're just acting like a fool. Yeah. Who thinks it's like, you know, I, I, I'm trying to say it's like, you know, if you were a, a passenger on a, on a plane and, and so you're, you're, you're living up there in that particular engine, depends on so many other things that you go, no, I don't care. I want to live my own little life. I don't, I don't need a pilot. I don't need any, you know, you know, aircraft engineer. I don't need all the maintenance people. I don't need all that <laughs> yeah. because my world is me. Yeah. I'm focused on this little thing. I'm just giving an analogy. Mm. This is how we live. Oh, my world, my thing, my that, my that. Well, if there was no God to design the world, my yeah, my truth oh, for all the mm. intents and purposes. You know, if, if there was no God to design the world, design and put you in this habitable zone so that you even be here. To, I haven't even talked about oxygen mm. that you breathe every minute. Yep. I just did down water. Yep. So what I'm saying is the study of natural theology will humble the Christian and the non-Christian. So what I'm saying to you as a Christian, I think every Christian should specialize in natural theology. Because mm. in a culture that has become so atheistic, 
All it takes me when I start to talk to somebody who's an atheist about all this stuff, they go, whoa, whoa. I've never heard this because everybody is expecting you to say, the Bible says so. I, I, I expect, I, I respect the authority of scripture. But some people don't. And I want to meet them where they are. Mm. So you meet them where they are and you lay these arguments down and they go, whoa, whoa, okay, right. Well, it doesn't mean they will come to believe, but at least they will respect the fact that you are not a believer because you're just simply an unscientific, dumb person who doesn't understand how the world works. Mm. The God who designed the world made it such that we can study it yeah. and understand it for his glory. Mm. And that is what I call the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> that is what you call the gospel. Uh, it's, um, it's, been a, it's been a great discussion and it's, um, it's one that continues... I think for every Christian because we have people in our families and we have people in our friendship groups and we have people at our workplace um, who really do think that we're living in fairyland yeah, exactly. and, yeah. and that we don't have a real basis for mm. our faith. Mm. Whereas um, studying those sorts of things, I mean, the, the beautiful hymn, How Great Thou Art, yes. you, know, you know, describes that sort of stuff. Some of the um, old hymn uh, writers used to, well, have written from that place of, mm. of looking at what's around us and the awesomeness of God and yeah. the awesomeness of what we uh, what we live in and how we live and yeah. express that in in beautiful worship. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. It's what you're saying there. You know why those old hymns sounds like that? It's because that's where the old scientists, Isaac Newton, Kepler, you know, people like Galileo, all these people started out from you know Copernicus. They started out. Their science was a an extension of their theology. Yeah. They believed in a God who designed the world intelligibly. Therefore, the world is intelligible for us to study it and understand it. Mm. And that's why all those sort of all the generations. That's how it went. And then we got to a generation of people who thought, "Oh no, science just simply has disproved God." So they and the Christians espousing anti-intellectualism. Just retrieved in their own little corners and have the you know special revelation, which is fine, and then they couldn't engage with the realm of science at all because it's too hard, brain work hard, and so we've we've ended up being basically yeah, yeah they've exited stereotyped that space. as they've unintelligent exited that space and they've mm-hmm. left it to others to uh, to define what the world is and what it isn't. That's exactly right. Well, the, and the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. Mm-hmm. So you seek his kingdom and you'll get your car. <laughs> Those other things that you were saying that people want to have in their own little world. Yeah. I mean, if, if we look after the things of God, then uh, God will look after us. I think, though, the, the study of the, the seeking of the kingdom of God starts with the knowledge of God himself. You yes. can't seek a God uh, or a kingdom who's God you don't know. Exactly. So the study of God, like Charles Spurgeon would say, must be the pursuit of every child of God. And the study of God means you study him and you study his handiwork. Amen to that.